Welcome to the You Are Infinitely Loved podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Koos. We believe that loving yourself is the key to transforming every aspect of your life. And it's our hope that these conversations bring you one step closer towards embracing this truth. Hello, welcome to another episode of You Are Infinitely Loved. Today we have such the great pleasure of sharing our friend Casey Carter. We first met Casey um, at Camp GLP 2017. In fact, when we first saw him, we thought, oh my gosh, a unicorn, it's real. What is happening? (laughs) Yeah, so through our time of getting to know Casey, we have been completely and totally enamored with his spirit, his energy, how authentic he is. He's taught us so much in just the, what, two years we've known him? Yeah. Two years. It's crazy. Just how, how much I've learned from him, just seeing his life. Um, so I'm so happy to have KC today. Welcome, KC. Uh, hey, thanks for that great welcome. I appreciate it. It's great to be here with you guys. KC, before we dig deeper into where we were when we met you, mm-hmm. could you tell, tell us a little bit about uh, your background, like where you were before, what you were doing before, any background information about yourself? Yeah, sure. I think you met me um, the summer of 2017. And uh, in 2016, the beginning of 2016, I left my corporate career behind. It was kind of the culmination of um, about four years at that point working in Jonathan Fields' Good Life Project community. I signed up as a participant in one of his programs in 2012, and it kind of led me on this path up and out of corporate life. Um, I happened to work for a great company I, that I helped build called Centros, headquartered in Chicago. I was the 40th employee. And during my time there over eight years, we grew to like 750 people. And as we grew so fast, we also won a lot of awards for culture. So we had this very incredibly connected, uh, highly motivated culture. And I was really fascinated with cre- uh, creating the connection between the individual journey and the organizational journey. So uh, when it was my time to exit, I kind of took the leap of faith with a family of five in tow. I have three children and um, just decided to go out on my own as a consultant, as a coach, and start doing more of this work uh, on behalf of all organizations. So you kind of met me about a year and a half into that journey. And now I'm coming up on three years um, out on my own, which is which is crazy for me to think about. And uh, along the way, I guess it's probably important to mention that I've always been really fascinated with meditation and meditation training and teaching has always been core to, uh, to everything I do within organizations and coaching. Casey, so you know our podcast is called You're Infinitely Loved, and we're doing a lot of exploration about what it means to embrace that we all are loved. Um, practicing self-love practices. We noticed this in you. Uh, One of the reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast so badly is because we feel like you are someone who exemplifies this. What would you say your relationship to self-love has been in the past, is right now, um, what you think is the ideal uh, place with that? Mm, That's great. First of all, I love the exploration and uh, it's kind of what drew me to wanting to be a guest on the show. I just love that that you're devoting time to this. It's so needed in this world right now. I'd say my journey is really similar to everybody else's, you know, uh, starting out younger, not such a good relationship to being infinitely loved by self. Um, <laughs> that you know, seems to we, be a theme. We keep seeing that pop up. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not really taught by our parents. Our parents do the best job they possibly can. They love us up. But um teaching you to love yourself is not, wasn't the norm growing up in the 80s in, in suburban right. Ohio, uh, and it wasn't really taught in the schools. So over time, I'd say it's evolved into real core component of what I teach and, and how I do my thing. Um, Kuz attended my retreats in Coast, I'm sorry, not Costa Rica, that's the next one, uh, attended my retreat in California a few weeks ago. And one of the core processes we do is called the lens statement. And it's a statement of virtue that we create and write, and then ultimately deliver in our own voices that we uh, listen to each day, um, ideally while we're moving our bodies. 
And uh, this morning, I, I was reflecting on that as I was running the track at my gym and listening to my lens statement, uh, which which could sound totally crazy to people unless they hear their own voice giving themselves really powerful directives. And I would say that the self-love component is really woven pretty heavily through that whole process. So each day starts with that, and usually uh, that follows um, – a good amount of meditation and the meditation is just designed to open our channels up to what we receive throughout the day and then to follow that up with a little bit of a workout a little bit of that lens statement process it just reminds me you know i'd say i'm always in process some days are better than others like everybody uh, some days i find find it completely easy to love myself uh, other days uh, not so much and, and what i'm noticing more and more in my coaching work is that often we love ourselves relative to certain achievements. Uh, it's mm -hmm. kind of like that achiever consciousness so many of us grew up with in the 80s and 90s. And now I'm just finding reasons to love myself regardless, you know, mm -hmm. um, just for making the effort, for, you know, helping people out when I don't always have, you know, the most time to do so, just the little things, the little reasons we could look for to love ourselves. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with it these days, you know. And then there's other days, you know, that we uh, revert back to just straight up hating on ourselves for for whatever reason. Uh, try to minimize those. Yeah, we can't relate to that. That must be so hard for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Like, send me some pity. I, I'm throwing a pity party. Oh my word. You know, what's interesting. I feel as though the more we dive into what self-love looks like, it's so much a relationship. And when we put it in the lens of if I were to have a partner that I talked to unkindly or treated poorly, what would we expect to happen? Mm -hmm. um, and yet this relationship with ourself, which we have until the day we die, this constant being with ourself, uh, we often don't put a lot of energy and effort towards yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most highly intentional relationships we need to have in our lives. And I do a lot of work around um, kind of separating the self in, into two, two equal, oh, I, I don't even want to say equal there, but they're two separate sides. There's the, you know, the ego side of ourselves, which is all of our accomplishments, our thinking, rational brain. Um, and then there's the much larger part of ourselves, the soul. And one of the quotes I've used many times throughout the years uh, that I came up with was, you know, however cool you think you are, which is your rational mind ego, you are probably infinitely cooler than you realize, which is your soul. And I think if most, most of us can find a little time to meditate, we find it very easy to love on our soul because our soul is our infinite, infinite potential. It's our you know, childlike wonder. It's our essence. It's all the stuff that came with us when we were born as babies. The ego is a little bit more rascally, a little bit tougher to love on those other days. And um, so when I talk about, you know, falling in love with the self, it's really getting tuned into the soul because the soul loves loves ourselves here regardless, you know? And I just think that those, those stilling practices are so key to, uh, you know, developing that relationship. Casey, you mentioned having a lens statement. Would mm -hmm. you feel comfortable sharing that or parts of that with us? Absolutely. I just ran across my office and grabbed it because I thought uh, usually I always have this memorized and um, this new one, I just upgraded it. We talk about upgrading the lens. So the lens is uh, kind of this overarching personal philosophy uh, by which you see the world through. So the lens could either enhance or diminish all you experience. Uh, so recently, right before my retreat, I was feeling like I was in need for an upgrade. So I upgraded the lens, which means I wrote a whole new statement based on where I am today and where I need to grow. Uh, so yeah, I'm happy to share it. Um, this one, this one gave me chills when I wrote it, which meant me, made me feel like, oh yeah, this is the thing, right? <laughs> so. This is it. And not all of them that we develop are as, as uh, involved as this one. This one has kind of evolved over time. So um, are you sure? You, you, are you sure you're ready for this, Bong? Well, you've set it up and now I feel a little uh, fearful. What, what is this? <laughs> yeah. The chills yeah. part. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Let's hear it. 
so the chills part just points to it should be something resonant with with mm -hmm. uh you know your own self your higher self and uh so yeah this is this is mine currently okay bring it let's hear it <laughs> yeah my laughter torches the darkness fun lights my path to what could be the soul is the sun my vitality crackles and hums ever renewable my family is my motivation my art flows in grand designs. My work is the upliftment of individuals and organizations. I am willing to play and fail, willing to lose and learn, if it means I get to perform this sacred work. I earn abundantly and save diligently so I may give generously. Husband, father, brother, son, grandson of the epic one. Om Tat Sat. I am ease. I am power. I am dynamism. I am shepherd. I am joy, I am spirit. Om Guru Om. I bless and serve all angels on my path. Om Guru Om. That's pretty powerful. You got chills. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know it's interesting. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, I'd love your I, reflections. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Your voice became really powerful and really confident when you were reading that. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's, they're kind of the, the power of affirmations, you know, affirmations got a bad rap in Saturday Night Live because of uh, Stuart Smalley, you know, I'm good enough. I'm oh, smart enough. And, yeah. Dog on people like me. Um, it's really, it's a powerful way to, to talk to yourself and to hear yourself. So when I go, when I deliver the lens, I, I kind of go back to hearing it. I probably heard this new version of it. I don't know, maybe about 80 times. And, um, uh, in my headphones while I'm, while I'm working out and it just becomes a real kind of serious way to talk to yourself. And, uh, mm -hmm. I think it just slows us down to get really, really intentional. So maybe that's what you were hearing. Mm -hmm. And I think the I am statements are powerful because you're literally yeah. calling out your essence mm -hmm. out to yourself. Yeah. The people who you are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How so the the lens statement should be both inspirational and aspirational. I am not all these things on that in any given day. I mean, ask my wife, she will happily tell you that I'm not. <laughs> However, I think she would agree that I aspire to be all these things on the regular and it's how I try to show up more often than not. So essence, there's a few things in here that are probably worth pointing out. The um, soul, vitality, family, art, and work are the five non-negotiables of the full life integration framework. That's kind of the core methodology of all my work. Um, those are the sacred life ingredients that can't be removed or substituted. So I talk about my soul, my vitality, family, art, and work. They're kind of like core values. Um, there's the essence, which Koos mentioned. Those are distinguished by people around us. So you know, earlier this year, I surveyed 10 people closest to me that work with me over the years, and they came up with the essence words, ease, power, dynamism, shepherd. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just, I wanted to incorporate those as I am so you could, you know, so it's easy to turn into them. But yeah, if, if I was just going to give anybody some advice, on just coming up with a really quick, simple lens statement is pick a virtue or pick an essence word that's a noun that you really feel, um, uh, lights you up and just practice. I am, I am divinity. I am power. I am ease. I am brilliance. I am radiance. It's pretty soon the, the, the conscious mind that wants to think that it's cheesy or corny falls away and your soul will respond. And the soul usually makes you feel, makes your body feel like, Oh, hell yes, we are. <laughs> you know, That's awesome. So Casey, I want to take a step back into the past real quick, just to uh -huh. hear about um, your journey. You said that in 2012, you got involved with Jonathan Fields. How uh -huh. did you hear about him? Like what made you decide to jump into his program and what yeah. came out of it that made you think, you know what, I'm going to leave this corporate culture and go do uh -huh. this thing on my own. Yeah, Jonathan, I call him my mensch. Uh, he is just a, a really lovely teacher, bro, great guy, great human being. And um, I, I've come to realize that my guru is Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, author of Autobiography of a Yogi. I finished that book at the end of, uh, towards the end of 2011. And uh, when I say guru, it's a, it's kind of a complicated relationship. I mean, people in the Western cultures, people think the word guru and they think all sorts of 
sketchy things. Um, but a guru disciple relationship is very intimate and it's um, usually forged in deep meditation. And I felt a real, so, so to, what led me to Jonathan was reading autobiography of a yogi. I finished that while our son was being born in September, 2011. And as I finished up that book, the very next book that I just happened to cross that crossed my desk was uncertainty by Jonathan Fields. And as I was finishing up uncertainty, I just got a very clear sign that I would get Jonathan's attention somehow. I would connect with him. I'd be friends with him. Something told me this. And, uh, Within three days from from having that realization, I was Skyping with Jonathan uh, because I had applied to be in that first immersion group, the Good Life Project immersion program. And I kind of knew from that point that we would hit it off and I would not only get in, uh, but there was a path for me there. And um, during the course of that next year in 2012, we studied a lot of positive psychology, a lot of mindset, a lot of the basics of entrepreneurship and thought leadership online. And I, I just started trying to apply everything I was learning from him. So I launched the Full Life Integration Manifesto, which put this thisepiclife.com uh, on, online. And um, he's just... Um, yeah, he's been just such a huge uh, teacher for me. And I, I just think that my, my guru drops the right teachers at all the right times in the path. And Jonathan was one of those powerful ones early on that kind of took me from A to B and beyond. And um, even now I talk to him every couple of weeks and just kind of jam on different ideas for the business. But um, it's been really cool to have people like that. I'd probably say too, where you met me at Camp Good Life Project, that was just one of the experiences, probably one of the biggest and most powerful for me. But Jonathan and his wife, Stephanie, are incredible creators of just amazing programs and experiences. And they're always super gracious with me to have me back as a staff member or to help create the experience. And camp was one of those perfect storms where they created this summer camp for adults. And they were like, here, Casey, you get to go play with like 450 toys all at once, meaning all the people that come. And they never, they didn't give me any, you know, manual on how to do this. They just said, go forth and be your fullest expression. So I got to go be a meditation teacher and a coach and a motivator and a, you know, camp counselor on steroids and a unicorn, as Keith mentioned. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully that answers the question. But yeah, it's Jonathan and, and GLP has been really interwoven throughout my development over the last six years. So I feel like when we met you, we met you at that place where mm -hmm. you're, I mean, I don't know if it was, it felt like a very full expression of who you are. We got to see you in a lot of different containers, how you engage with people, both on, you know, speaking in front of a group of 450 people, but also one-on-one. -on -one. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that really probably highlights kind of your range of how you are with people. Like when you are, when you know yourself and you love yourself, you're able to maybe be present with others in a different, higher, elevated way. Would, does that resonate mm. with you? Oh, yeah. I appreciate you making that connection. You know, like in my, the essence word that people came up with was dynamism, you know, how, how you can modulate mm -hmm. different energies to, you know, make room for everybody, whether it's one person who's just having a rough go of it. Uh, up to a, like a larger group, how you said. And I, I think the connection to self-love for me is, um, you know, in my earlier days playing in rock bands and being a young, like partying, you know, I always joke and say, like, idiot, idiot guy from the suburbs. It was, the journey was about just trying to become somebody who I wanted to spend time with. Um, I think we, when, when we're younger, when we're younger, we just, um, kind of believe what our ego is telling us that we are not worthy or not, you know, we're missing something, we're not enough. And um, as I started adding different, you know, aspects to my life of just being somebody who I enjoyed the company of, um, I found that more and more um, people responded to that. And, you know, so that that work only deepens, the, the more room I need to make um, for other people in my life, the more I have to deepen that self-care and that self-exploration. And I think, mm -hmm. and, and, and like I said, you're never fully there. I think that people are just really drawn to you being in the process. And lately I've just right. looked at it all as a big game, you know, like, so it's game on, you know, like if I, if I can figure out how to uh, enjoy my company, I'm sure that everyone else can at some point. 
You know, I think you point out something really powerful is that we're never going to arrive at this place of I have mastered self-love. I am good with myself all the time. I have no areas yeah. of growth left to be made. And I think that intellectually we get that, but from our belief system, we function a little differently. Like I need to be this person before I do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious about, you know, you have three kids and a wife who live with you. And they are witnessing maybe this transition you're making both, you know, from the corporate world to your current work, but also the spiritual side, maybe this development, this relationship with yourself. How would you, how did they understand that? Or how did they interpret your transition? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you watch your kids grow every single day. You just don't notice it. Mm -hmm. So um, there, there's times where you have a hunch that you think they may have grew in the night or during a nap, but you're not <laughs> quite sure. Um, so, so a lot of times I, I feel like my family just views me as the same uh, either grumpy dad guy or very, uh, you know, private dad who goes down and meditates or whatever and then comes up all happy and gregarious. Um <laughs> But, but I'd say last weekend, this past weekend was probably a good example. We hosted a Kirtan chant at our house. A Kirtan is, you know, just an evening of devotional chanting. My wife took the kids over to her parents and I had about 50 yogis and my, my hippie friends over to just chant the name of Divine Mother all night. And it filled the home with such love and power and grace that when the family got home, they could feel it. And... I think that what I sense is, is that my, you know, my wife's been, we've been together for about 25 years. We've been married for 20. And um, so we got married pretty young and she married this, you know, kind of rowdy drinking um, musician and she's seen the evolution. And I think that the two main things that she was most grateful for in my evolution have been sobriety, like my pursuit of just partying harder than I ever did in my drinking youth and uh, meditation. Uh, so it's one of those things where she probably doesn't see the gross growth day to day when I'm being grumpy or short with people, or I'm just trying to get through my own stuff. But over the long term, when she sees that, you know, these kinds of events like the Kirtan or like leading retreats and stuff, it's been, so, it's such an integral part of my work that I think that she's, uh, you know, grateful for that journey and that I just stay on it. I mean, she sees me struggle you know, our loved ones see us struggle harder than anybody else because they have a front row seat for the transformation. Uh, but, but she also, you know, having my family kind of makes me emotional. Um, my family got to come see my TEDx talk last month and uh, they had never really seen me do my thing, you know, like they, she stays home from camp and holds down the fort. Well, so I could go, you know, be that for everybody there. And it's, you know, without Gail and the support, I, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. You know, the same thing, mm -hmm. she does the same thing during the retreat. But when, when they came out to the TEDx, it was kind of cool for them to, it, it was really gratifying for me to, to see how, for them to see how um, integral they are to my journey and my process. Uh, you're, like what I say in the lens statement, they're my absolute motivation. They just don't always get to see kind of the fruits of all my work. Well, maybe they see the fruits of your work, maybe in a different capacity than you think. Would, would that be true? One would hope. Yes. Yes. I'm definitely <laughs> open to that. Yeah. And, yeah. What, what would you suggest, Lindsay? I mean, I'm definitely, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to, uh, I, I need to facilitate this conversation with my tribe a little bit more often, I think. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because you're right. We are with our families all the time and our kids can take a nap and we're like, oh, I think you grew an inch during that nap. Um, but often we look back and we're like, oh my gosh, this was your, your picture, your school picture last year. You look so different this year. And it yeah. just happens so gradually. We don't really think about it until we do take a moment of reflection and to say, um, how do you think I've changed? How do you think I've grown? And I think, you know, as a therapist, I see this in my clients. We always do like every couple of months, I'll do a check-in with them. Like, so a couple months ago, here's where you are. Here's where you were. And now here's where you are. And they're like, oh my gosh, like that, you're right. Like this is a huge difference of thinking. And um, I think that's true for all of us. We just don't see the growth happening because growth happens slowly often, mm. but it's still really powerful, amazing, deep growth. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, 
in, in coaching, we call it the ground taken. Like what, what was your ground right. taken over the last six months, 12 months, whatever. And I would say in that period of six years, it, it just shows up in different ways. You know, like our, I think, I think my family's present to the impact I create outside of our home. And, um, on, on really good days, they can't deny the impact that it's had inside the home. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really it's, I think it's just about being more, you know, easy with things, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, you could love, you know, a messy day with the kids around the house or, you know, knocking out a ton of work outside like we did yesterday and, and just be cool with it. You know, like that this is, this is life happening and I'm not trying to fight my way out of it or get on to the next thing. I mean, I think that's, that, that would not be the guy that my wife married. You know, I'd be like, <laughs> let's get out of here. Let's go do something fun. Let's go to a bar or whatever. Uh, t- would you mind talking more about your path of sobriety? Because yeah. I yeah. think that you approach it in a really interesting way. Mm-hmm. So much so that you have your, don't you have like a, the October yeah. challenge or something like that? Yeah, I used to do October challenges. I didn't do it this year because I was heading into TEDx and the retreat. But oh, yeah. Right. Okay. yeah, so for the past um, probably five years, four years, I've been doing the 30-day meditation challenge a couple times a year. Uh, but it evolved into the sobriety challenge because uh, a lot of people are just curious with how I quit drinking. And, and like really quickly, my, my drinking story, it's not uh, – it's actually in, in my TEDx talk – uh, people could look up, but I, I decided to quit drinking consciously. I didn't hit a rock bottom. And I actually live in Akron, Ohio, uh, which is the birthplace of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous has changed and saved millions and millions of lives over its 70 plus year history. Uh, but I also found it the process to have some heaviness to it. Like you needed to get to a rock bottom before you can go up. And so with my sobriety, I what so first of all, sobriety has kind of a crappy connotation in our culture. It's looked at as the lame absence of booze, which is right. you know it comes out of our you know the prohibition era, you know the roaring twenties. You would go into a speakeasy, and the, the last thing you'd want to be is sober. You know, people would just <laughs> l- label you as a teetotaling grandmother or whatever. Uh, so when I talk about sobriety, I'm talking about the capital S virtue of sobriety, uh, which is. I kind of look at it as being in complete alignment with your circumstances, not hiding anywhere. So in Mm -hmm. our culture, alcohol, television, screen time, these are all really convenient, easy places to hide because they're everywhere, especially for men. Mm -hmm. Alcohol is a, it's a social lubricant because a couple of dudes don't know how to sit down together without them and, you know, um, have a normal conversation about real things. So, um, so yeah, when, once I, once I released alcohol, I embraced the notion of sobriety and then it became this just fascinating journey of figuring out how to, you know, party harder, have more fun just without alcohol. And as a result, like a lot of the relationships in my life, including to myself, just kind of deepened. So I thought it was, Hmm. it it came up as something in my meditation path where it was very clear that I couldn't progress on the meditation path while still drinking. But once I released the alcohol, sobriety became something so much cooler to move towards. And now I'm just, I feel like I'm just getting started with it because, you know, you could be sober from alcohol, but then it's like, what about being sober from impatience or sober from being a jerk in traffic or, you know, there's no limit. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important thing because I I see people jumping from, um, I'm going to quit drinking because it's bad for me to... I am on my screen 24 seven to escape what I need to process or think about or be present with. And we just kind of hop from different distraction to different distraction. And you're right that sobriety from not just alcohol, but from whatever is distracting us from being with ourselves, being with others. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It's a, it's a deep subject. I mean, it's, it turned out to be something so much more than just whether to drink or not. You know, I wish it was that right. simple because I would have right. quit many, many you know years ago. But you know, I still struggle and come on and off with coffee, um, <laughs> sugar. I, I go into a shame spiral after every Halloween and my kids trick or treat candy, <laughs> uh, and I, I love all of it. I mean, I still love the drinks. I mean, I don't have any judgment against it. That's the probably the biggest 
component of the way I approach sobriety is to not have the judgment. Like just because I don't drink anymore, like who am I to judge people for drinking? I judge them as awesome. You know, I will pour them drinks. I will, you know, uh, dance with them all night long. I just choose not to partake in that way, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, it's become kind of a big piece of my work. Yeah. So talk to us more about meditation. Like mm-hmm. when was your first time to meditate? Why were you, why were you attracted to it? Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I have talked about my journey before, um, of my meditation journey before where, KC, like being introduced to meditation during Chem GLP in 2017, I mean, I only attended one morning during camp <laughs> um, and it resonated me strong enough for me to sign up for your 30 day meditation challenge in September. And it's, I mean, it was so powerful. I, it's a practice that I have, I'm still doing today. I, I don't know, 450 something, 460 days in a row now. Wow. Um, wow. You can, Lindsay actually <laughs> can tell throughout the day, she'd be like, Coos, did you meditate today? And it, I am a completely different person if I didn't meditate in the morning. Wow. And, which yeah. is crazy to me because I feel like, you know, Coos works from home. Um, I often work from home and we're together a lot. And so it is very noticeable to me when Coos hasn't had time to sit, be with himself, meditate. Um, and so it's kind of become a little joke in our family. Yeah. <laughs> Any problems you have like Coos, did you meditate? <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We call, we call it around my house, you know, I, I jokingly call it taking your meds. Uh, so when dad, when daddy takes his meds, when I take my time to meditate, (laughs) things are a lot easier and more smooth sailing. If, if the kid's feet hit the floor before daddy does that and the day just gets off to a start, I feel like I'm just chasing it all day and I'm a little bit, you know, quicker to react or, you know, just jump jump into my, you know, dad mode, whatever that is. Uh Yeah. So I feel like for me, meditation was truly a lifesaver, especially during my seven months period of unemployment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that practice has kept me grounded. And I feel like I, I don't know what life would have been like without it. So mm-hmm. having you on, um, on the call today, I'm curious if you can talk about what meditation is. You know, yeah. I think it has a lot of different connotation for different people is it something really spiritual like yeah what if what if i don't i think we originally had some fears about it just because you know we're i'm from oklahoma um that wasn't a thing people i mean maybe people in the far east were doing meditation Mm -hmm. people in la were i don't know but it was kind of a fearful thing for me to think about or at least out there woo woo out there not for me kind of thing even though there are scientific research saying how awesome meditation is just oh, yeah. the, for the, your the, life. The right? growing body of research. So, so how I'd answer, because it's kind of a, it's a big question, you know, what is meditation? And I think to, you got to sort, similar how we split out like the self, the ego self from the soul. Let's break out meditation from the spiritual connotations to just what it does for you physiologically. Um, because if on, on the physiological side, if you look at all the neuroscience and the research, uh, my, one of my teachers and friends, Susan Piver, who's a great Buddhist uh, um, meditation teacher, she, she, she would say if, if meditation was a pill, everybody would take it. You know, like it, <laughs> it, slows, it slows things down. It, it um, makes you sleep better. It deepens your relationships and how you communicate to people. It, it expands your empathy. It increases neuroplasticity in the brain, uh, which makes you more adaptive to creating new habits well into old age. Um, yeah, I'll it, it take just, that pill. Where, where do I buy that? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so tying it back to what Lindsay said uh, earlier, you know, around sobriety, you know, we have millions of ways to hide from being with ourselves. And meditation mm-hmm. for me, it was one of those last resort things where I nearly died of stress-related illness when I was 26 years old. My brain was just kind of misfiring, and um, my the people I was working with at the time. Um, got me over to the hospital and I had this emergency CT scan and a spinal tap. Like basically I was showing signs and presenting as somebody who's having an aneurysm. And wow. as I, uh, w- that didn't kill me. What almost killed me was uh, when they um, gave me the, um, 
epidural for the spinal tap, my vital signs dropped to dangerously low levels. And um, coming out of that, I lived, by the way, um, coming out of that, I had to get <laughs> spoiler extreme, alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I had to get really honest with myself and get on just kind of a real uh, personal development path first. But then where the personal development path ends, the spiritual path begins. And that ultimately led me to meditation. So the, the meditation practice over time became much more spiritual, but it just started out as like this thing that I needed to do just to slow the hell down and to be real with myself. Um, so on the, on the, again, on the physiological side, um, just the mechanics of it, what, what you're probably experiencing with Koos, Lindsay, is that he's going to the, to the meditation gym every day and he's, instead of like lifting weights, he's, he's strengthening his meta attention which is, a, is his ability to direct his attention back to his breath or to drop the thought to come back. And that's what so many people, especially dudes, really need in this you know, pretty complex, volatile, uncertain world right now. We see a whole world insane, you know, wanting to snap to judgment or to nuclear war or whatever it may be because they don't know how to redirect their thoughts back from the brink of you know, just totally loaded emotions or pressure. So the meta attention hook is, is something I really use in my teaching to get executives and organizations to meditate. It's like, well, you know, in the seventies, you would, people would have thought you were crazy to go to a, to a gym, to work out your body. They'd be like, are you, you know, training for the Olympics? What are you going to lift weights for? You know, we don't do that, you know, and now because there's a, you know, a tipping of consciousness, many people are more interested in mindfulness meditation. And all it is, is just going to the gym and lifting that, you know, meta attention weight. Um, does that make sense so far? Yeah, totally. I really never thought about there not being gyms in the seventies, <laughs> that not being a thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. They were, we were all just like smoking at our desks and, you know, uh, <laughs> eating whatever we wanted to drinking during the day, like madmen. But the, um, <laughs> And on the spiritual side of things, what's so incredibly powerful about it, every true religion has meditative aspects to it. And if you think about prayer, which is central to every organized religion, that is talking to God, talking to your deity, talking to the divine mother, whatever that force may be. Uh, meditation is more looked at as listening for the answer. And you can't hear the answer if your mind is going or is still spinning from your, you know, uh, phone or whatever it is. So it's just the, the practice of quieting the mind and attuning yourself with your soul, your higher aspect with God. So you could hear the response you're getting. So there's really nothing mystical about it. it it's, it, it has some loaded connotations from, you know, when, when, uh, you know, my guru was the second, um, uh, Indian Swami to come over from the East back in the early 1900s. Vivekananda came first in the 1800s, then Yogananda came in 1920. And as his teachings have, have spread around the world, uh, it's really demystified the process. And so many Westerners are now interested in it because they realize, you know, in addition to all the benefits on the physiological side, you could also get this um, attunement with an inexhaustible bliss that is God, meaning you could sit down to meditate and get up infinitely more peaceful and infinitely more blissful because you're attuning to that God consciousness. Whew, that's all? <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a big question. And uh, it, it begins, you know, for for me, again, just a, just a dude from the suburbs of Ohio, um, it's all about practice, you know, like what you, mm -hmm. when, when you go to train for a marathon, unless you're a complete idiot, and I tried this once, um, so I know, if, if you go out on your first day of training and you run 10 miles, you're going to hurt yourself and probably not run again, <laughs> uh, or say that you're not a runner. But with meditation, it was the same way. Like I, I had to be able to sit for two minutes and then five minutes and then 15 minutes a day, which is what we do in the 30 minute or in the 30 day meditation challenge. We get everybody to an unbreakable habit, 15 minutes a day. And most people continue on to do hundreds and hundreds and thousands of days, but they also get up to like 30 minutes in the morning, sometimes 30 minutes in the evening as well. Um, my practice these days is an hour in the morning and I never would have thought, if you can't tell, I have uncomfortable levels of energy and I never knew, <laughs> I never knew no, how, Casey, no, yeah, yeah, I know, He's I know, so introverted. I, I know exactly. Yeah. So I had to do something to temper my crazies 
and now I, I tried to apply all of that, you know, energy and focus into just stillness. And a lot of the, you know, the, the motion throughout the rest of the day comes from that place of stillness. But, but that's what I would encourage people to do is just start anywhere and just with the simple practices of bringing the focus back and then get into, you know, more lo- longer time, uh, deeper, you know, duration. So KC, when we talk about self-love, I have mentioned that meditation is an act of self-love and self-compassion. Oh, oh yeah. What, what do you think that means for you? It's mm, an awesome question. I think it's, for me, it comes up as the ability to be with, practicing being with all of the noise mm. in our heads and redirecting back towards the truth. So at, at a basic level, this looks like, you know, the, the spin around our heads is, is something like static. And we want to use the meditation to come back to the signal or what the truth is or what the heart is telling us. The heart would tell us, I love you. I love what you're creating in this world. What is, meaning our current circumstances are already awesome. You, you can actually drop the striving to get out of these circumstances because they're already kind of kick ass. I mean, look at your family, look at your career, look at your body, look at your health and vitality, these things to be grateful for. So I think that practicing that and, and being able to be with these storms that rage through our heads and they come out of nowhere, you know, so I, I come back from retreat like everybody else a couple of weeks ago. And because I'm the organizer and the leader, I am flying so high. But then when I get back into day to day life and the realities of, you know, um, anything from health benefits to taxis and all the entrepreneurial, you know, potholes, um, the story in the head can change. And I, I think that just the act of showing up re- relentlessly day after day, like we don't know any better. Um, is a powerful, defiant act of self-love. That's awesome. So Casey, I have greatly benefited from your 30-day free meditation challenge in the past, and I know a lot of other people have as well. And um, it looks like you have one coming up in January. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about it and where they can find more information about it? Sure. Yeah, it's the the meditation challenge for January. We do it twice a year. People can do it at any time, but it's it's way more powerful when it's facilitated. I facilitate it every January and every September. Uh, January, we're rolling out the biggest uh, upgrades we've ever done in terms of daily guided meditations that are all pre-recorded. Uh, they live inside the Insight Timer app. Insight Timer is the most powerful app for meditation, in my opinion, because it um, it not only captures all of your session data and milestones, uh, but also you have access to hundreds of thousands of teachers, uh, myself included. So all of my stuff is housed in the Insight Timer app. Uh, you can learn more about the 30-day uh, meditation challenge at thisepiclife.com. And we're also going to be uh, getting it out there in a big way once we... Uh, so, so people can start signing up in, in mid-January, I'm sorry, mid-December. It's all free. By the way, this is something that I've always just wanted to do for my, um, for my communities because meditation looking back was the biggest thing that really not only saved my life long-term, but also created so much positive um, upswing and every level. So uh, I love hearing back from people like you, Koos, who said that it was helpful during, you know, your time out of work. And um, that's really why my team puts it together. It's, it's kind of a big give that we just try to give people the habit and then uh, if they keep us in mind down the road for coaching or retreats or whatever, that's that's awesome too. But but yeah, that, that big push will happen uh, starting in mid-December. Yeah, and we'll be sure to put all the relevant links in our show note as well for our listeners. Awesome. So Casey, if you're comfortable, um, would you mind closing this uh, session with a short meditation? Mm, yeah, absolutely. On the spot meditation. Let's yeah. see what, let's see how you do this, Casey. No so, pressure. So, so let me let me ask you this, um, Bong family, Bong and Bong. Um, what would be most useful for your listeners? Um, you know, just knowing that we're gonna spend a couple minutes focusing, where do we what do we want them to walk away with? Is it feelings of self-love? Is it a place to access self-love? Like like you give me the goal and we'll 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 design it around that. I think the goal would be to feel self-love, to access that place, just to get deep into 
your own heart and soul and know that you are so loved. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So why don't we start by coming up to a comfortable seated posture, thighs parallel to the floor. And in our posture, it's really important to look for straight lines. We want our spine to be straight away from the back of the chair, our shoulders to be down and back, chin parallel to the floor, hands upturned on the knees, and you can bring those in towards the trunk of your body up onto your thighs and it'll hold your shoulders down and back. So that's the posture. And already you might be able to sense that some of the restlessness in the body falls away as you align the posture. So let's take a few breaths, deliberate breaths to get our own attention. Our attention might right now may be on this podcast we're listening to or on something that's waiting for us when we're done. So let's breathe in for a count of four. Two, three, four. Now hold it for seven if you can. Two, three, five, six, seven. Big exhale for eight. Uh, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Another cycle of this. Inhale for four. Feel everything slowing down. Hold for seven. Just hold that oxygen and all that nourishment in your abdomen. Six, seven. Big exhale for eight. Three, four, five, six, seven. Now on the next breath, just take steady breaths in and out through the nose. And just fall into the rhythm of your breath. Feel your abdomen engaged, expanding out with each inhale. And then contracting in on the exhale. The abdomen will draw the breath down for us. And with eyes closed, I'd like you to rest your gaze at about a 45 degree angle, kind of towards the center of the forehead. what the yogis call the katasta center or the Christ consciousness. Because with focus, we can realize that our um, thoughts just kind of drop down like the snow settling in a snow globe. So focus that concentration, deep breaths in and out through the nose. Let's picture our breath going to our heart. So consciously sending the breath into the heart, visualizing in your mind's eye that the heart expands with each intentional breath. Since it's often easier to love everyone around us more, we're gonna focus on our families, communities, our clients. Just hold them in your heart as it expands to include everyone. Notice the heart glowing brighter, expanding further. And with our focus on the breath, beating slower. Think of the space between the heartbeats that we never even pay attention to. Offering love for our powerful heart that serves all of these people. Now let's direct this at ourselves. Offer some powerful reasons to acknowledge and to be present to your own greatness and all the love that you cultivate that spills out into all these other areas of your life. Mentally chant, 
affirmations. I am love. I am enough. I am success. I am light. I am love. I am enough. I am success. I am light. And notice for a second that as you fill your own cup first, the container of your heart expands, allowing more for everyone else in your life. And that cup is filled from an inexhaustible, infinite resource from our own divinity or God or goddess, whatever your faith may want to call it. So let's start bringing our focus back, back into the room that we're seated in back into our awareness of this conversation. Let's just be present to anything that may have changed even just a little bit during that time of focus. And this is usually in the, the place in the meditation where we ask our students to direct their attention. So now that you've filled your heart and your cup with a little bit of self-love, where do you want to take it? What do you want to do with it? And I invite you to think about gratitude, focusing on what is until it glows so brightly that it manifests into what could be your potential, or maybe directed as loving kindness to somebody outside of yourself who, who desperately needs it. Thanks, Kuz. Wow, Casey, that was so awesome. Thank you so much for leading us in that meditation. Mm. I needed it yeah. too, so thank you. <laughs> I forgot we were doing the podcast. So I definitely got lost in it. Ah, <laughs> oh, cool. Casey, we are so thankful for how you show up in the world, how you pour out love and generosity to those around you just by being you, by being your full self. We're really grateful to you. Yeah, mm. thank you so much, Casey. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I love the conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our hope is that each day you feel more connected to the knowledge that you are infinitely loved. If you want to continue this conversation, you can find us at youareinfinitelyloved.com.